Good morning, everybody. You guys can go and have a seat. Oh, my heart feels lighter already. I don't know about yours. That was very peaceful, and it's just um, the perfect setting for what we're going to be talking about today. Um, so I get the opportunity to um, co-teach here with Brad. If I've not had a chance to meet you yet, um, my name is Jessica, and I oversee the kids' ministry here at SCC. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm excited to actually get to spend time with you today. I hope you guys had a really great Christmas. Thank you for those that came to Christmas Eve service. I hope that that was a blessing for you. Um, and we're just going to continue to worship as we're talking about who Jesus is and who God is, and the fact that um, even though we're living in a hard time right now, that Jesus is in charge of everything, right? He's in control. God has control of this whole situation. And so um, what we're going to be talking about today is, is pretty much that. We're going to be talking about how we are living between two trees, and we're going to be basically going back and forth and sharing with you in Scripture where we see two different types of trees in Scripture and how we're living in between those, and what does that actually look like as we're abiding and spending time with Jesus, because right now we live in a world uh, that just doesn't function the way that God had intended it to. That's the reality. Um, we need to remember in this life that all of this that's going on right now is very temporary. This isn't something that we're supposed to be living in. And that's one of the beautiful things about scripture is we get to see um, where things are going to be made right at another point in time. But we need to recognize that um, even us today, we're not supposed to function this way. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to abide. And there's just growth for us in this season. And so my prayer for you as we're going through Scripture today and as we're talking about these two different trees and we're going from Revelation or Genesis to Revelation and talking about kind of everything in between, uh, that this would be um, life-giving to you and that God would speak to you specifically about what does it look like for you in this upcoming season to grow in your faith with him or maybe even start a relationship with him altogether. And so I want to introduce you guys to Brad. Um, he's going to come up here and start us off in the book of Genesis. Hey, welcome everybody. Isn't it great that we get three hours together to go all the way from Genesis through, oh relax, I'm just messing with you. So we're not going to go all the way through. What we're going to do is we're going to start in Genesis. We're going to make some observations, and then we're going to jump all the way to Revelation 22, and we're going to make some additional observation. And we think it's just going to blow your mind, the parallels between what was and what is to come and what sets us apart as we live life, as Jess said, you know, between the trees. Now, when you start thinking about Eden, you know, it provides this brief glimpse, I think, of God's intention for us and for creation for the world in which we live. It's, it's a place of peace. There's no shame. There's no blame. It's a place where God dwells, where God is as near and present as your dearest loved one. There were no walls. There was no hostility. There was no division. There was no hiding. There was no pain. And also in Eden, what we're going to see is that humanity, men and women, partnered with God to care for the world, that that was originally part of God's plan. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. We're going to uh, put the verses on the screen behind me as we work our way through them. If you want to open your Bible and work from there, you're welcome to do that as well. If you have that, if you have that on an app, you're welcome to open that and start there. But Genesis 2-7, here, here we go. So the Lord God formed 
formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, one of the things that I think is so cool is that what makes us a living being in this case is the breath of God. And it's so cool because one of the other things that's called God breathed is actually the Word of God, the Bible that we read from every day. And I think it's really cool that uh, we share a divine origin, you know, in the breath of God. And then look at verse 8 and 9. It says this, and then even 10. Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Really important. We're going to come back to that in, the, in, in a moment. In the middle of the garden. And then verse 10, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there, it was separated uh, into four headwaters. So here what the writer is doing is he's giving us images, right? There's a river that branches out into four other rivers. There are plants. There is a garden. And in the middle of that garden are two trees, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then let's jump down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. So notice right away that Adam is given responsibility. He's partnering with God in the care of his creation. And then look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this warning is so important because what's going to happen is Adam and Eve are going to blow right through this warning. And that is going to result in terrible consequences for them that we're going to discuss in a moment and even consequences that you and I have to live with today. And then he goes in verse 18, God kind of makes an observation. He says, it's not good for man to be alone, to which every man in the room would say, amen, right? It's not good for man to be alone. So God says, I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. And then there's a little kind of a parenthetical thing that happens in the middle here in verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Uh, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. This kind of makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, if you ever name, you think about some of the names of some of the animals that live and you go, not so sure about that one. You know, those were probably named last as Adam got more and more tired. He's like, I don't even care anymore, platypus, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, I don't even know. So I'm out of ideas, right? So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. And then we come back to this idea, but for Adam, no sustainable helper was found. Now, so important to understand, could God have named the animals? I mean, he created them all. God could have given every one of them names, right? But why, so why did he ask the man to name all the animals? I'll give you the answer because God wanted to partner with man. Man wanted to give, God wanted to give man meaningful work and meaningful responsibility in the garden. That's the way it was meant to be. It was meant to be that way. 
And then, uh, again, based on this observation that, he's, uh, that no suitable helper was found for Adam, look at verse 21. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, and we're going to talk about that word in a minute, and then closed up the place uh, with flesh. So let's kind of stop there. Now, we're told two things. Um, we're told that uh, God wants to make a helper for man, right? He's, uh, and so he takes one of his ribs. Now, I want to talk about those two words, the word helper and the word ribs. The word helper here is not meant to imply inferiority or service uh, or, or anything at all. It's not meant to be a demeaning word. In fact, in other contexts, the same word is used of God. In other words, God is said to be our helper. So it's certainly not like a number two position. You know, it's, it's equal. In fact, um, it's the word rib for rib is the Hebrew word for selah, and it literally means sides. So it, the word rib um, might be a reach here. Uh, so it means, in other contexts, it means sides, as in two sides of an ark or two sides of an altar. So the implication here is that God made Eve as an equal as in two equal sides of a triangle, right? An equal uh, and a complementary partner to Adam, like two parallel sides of an ark or an altar. And then he goes on to say this, uh, the man said, so God creates the woman from the side of man, and then the man looks at what God has done and says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then we're given kind of a parenthetical statement by Moses who says this. He says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now listen, this is when we talk about being one flesh, this is certainly... Um, meant to point us to physical intimacy, but oneness means far more than just having sex together. It means spiritual intimacy. It means emotional intimacy. It means um, oneness in every way that a man and a woman can be one. And then look at verse 25. This statement is so important because everything's about to change. Verse 25, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, no shame. Now, listen, the word naked here means more than just physical nakedness. It means that they were vulnerable before God in every possible way, completely open to God in, in, in as profound a way as you can be completely open and completely vulnerable with another human being. They were one spiritually, emotionally, and physically. There was complete harmony, not just between Adam and Eve, but between uh, Adam and Eve and God. There was harmony all the way around. But then look at chapter 3, verse 1. Now, the serpent 
was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat a fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, that is the tree of uh, good and evil, and you must not touch it or you will certainly die. Now, did God tell Eve not to touch that tree? No, Eve added that. Uh, she kind of added that just to make sure she was, you know, creating extra boundaries. Now, by the way, uh, the word serpent here, uh, so there's a lot of memes if you've ever looked online. Like you'll hear people talking about like a talking snake. Uh, the word snake is not used, at least the way we think of a snake here in this verse. This is actually the word serpent. It's, serpent, it's the Hebrew word nachash. So you got to get a little guttural sound in there, right? And it doesn't translate well into English for reasons you're going to see. So as a noun, nachash means serpent. Uh, so it's some type of animal, but as a verb, it means to divine or to be divine. And then as an adjective, it means to shine or shining one. So it's very clear from the word that this is a spiritual being, a divine being who shines as some kind of serpent. Now, here's what's so interesting. In Psalm 82, and some of you might want to jot this reference down because it's such an important reference, we're told that God has a spiritual assembly, a council, a heavenly divine council over which he presided. And we also know that there is rebellion among that assembly, spiritual rebellion against God. And so what is likely being represented here in the garden is that one of these what's called sons of God in Psalm 82 from this heavenly council has rebelled against God and gone to Adam and Eve to propagate a physical rebellion against God as well. Now many folks understand this being to be Satan, though in this context that's not clear. But regardless, it is very, very important to understand that the rebellion being talked about in Genesis chapter 3 was not simply physical. It didn't begin with Adam and Eve. It started before that, and it's a continuation of an earlier spiritual rebellion among God's counsel. And that rebellion is going to result in a curse upon that spiritual being a curse on Eve and a curse on Adam and even a curse on our world. In other words, the world is going to be uh, a different place because of this spiritual rebellion. And note as well that we're told in the very next verses that God made animal skins to cover the nakedness of Adam and Eve. And it's just noteworthy to me that uh, as God has to make more permanent clothing for them out of animal skins to cover their shame, that animals had to die to make that happen. And so in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14, God speaks. So uh, Adam and Eve both eat from the tree. And so God now is going to um, tell them what the consequences of that are going to be. Look at verse 
uh, 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, in other words, instigated this disobedience, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, that's a tough one, by the way, between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And then here we even get just a little taste of Messiah. And Messiah will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the very first um, reference to Jesus in the Bible. And then look at verse 16. To the woman, he said... I will make your pains in childbearing severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. So you all have Eve to thank for that. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. In other words, instead of being complementary partners, uh, you're going to be subjected, uh, you know, to... uh, to his rule. And then look at verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. And it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you'll eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food. Uh, and so, and until you return to the ground, since you were taken from it, for you, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So, so now you're like, well, no wonder work seems so laborious. No wonder it sometimes seems so hard. We have Adam to thank for that. In other words, work wasn't always meant to be so monotonous. It wasn't meant to be something that we just did to collect a paycheck. It was originally intended to be far more, and one day it will be far more once again, just not here between the trees. So in the garden, uh, so, so God's communicating all things, all kinds of things here, right? In the, in the Garden of Eden, we have a river, we have plants, we have a garden, that, uh, we have harmony. Uh, men and women see one another. They're completely vulnerable to one another, completely vulnerable for God. But that harmony and vulnerability are all replaced by rebellion and shame, which results in a curse. And in the middle of that garden is a tree, actually two trees. There's the tree of life, and then there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I want you to take note of all that imagery as Jess is going to step up and talk to us a little bit about another tree that we see in Revelation 22. So Jess, come on up. Yeah, so if you guys could, we're going to go actually to Revelation 22. Um, so we're going to go all the way back to the, to the end here. Let me get this pulled up. Here we go. All right. So we're going to read this together. So this is Revelation 22. And actually, if you read 21 too, as well, like it's, it's really good imagery. Um, and I kind of want you guys to, as we read through this, um, maybe even close your eyes, see if you can picture this. Because um, I'm curious to see um, what you guys see like in your minds while you guys are thinking this, okay? So we're going to be reading in 22, 1 through 5. Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street, 
On each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit. With a fresh crop each month, the leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. And there will be no more night, no more lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. And so as you're reading this, like when I hear that, and I, I picture that, what I picture is peace. Um, I picture perfection. Like when you're talking about a crystal river, like if you've ever been to the Rocky Mountains where you go up um, higher up in, into the altitude, you see clearer and clearer water where it's just so beautiful. Um, I know some people have been like to the Swiss Alps and they're like, it's just, when you see glacier water, it's just pure and it's, it's so beautiful. And we're going to get a chance to see that um, when we get to heaven someday. And so when I read this, I see a perfection, an ease of life. Um, I see restoration after the fall. So as Brad was talking about, we have the first tree. And before that tree happened, God had a plan and it was perfect. And everything that God said and done um, happened. Uh, he, he said it and it would happen. If he spoke it, it, it came to be, right? And so when we have this tree here, um, and we see what happens after that. We've got this time in between the trees, and then we have this new tree that we're going to get to see in Revelation and in heaven, right? And it's actually interesting because it's called the tree of life as well. And so as we go through this, we see God's sovereignty and his goodness, and we get to experience that tree of life again. Because he originally put it in the garden for us to enjoy and see and be um, part of. We were not supposed to partake of it, but we were there to be with God because we didn't need it. We needed God. And at the beginning, it was just us abiding with him. That's what, that was enough. And then when we went towards the tree, though, and that was when things, you know, took a turn for the worse, because at that point, we took control in our own hand, or Adam and Eve did. And because when we take control and we try to do things our own way, that's when things get messy, and that's where sin enters in, and that's where chaos begins, and that's where you see the mess in between the two trees is when we try to take control of what God has already deemed it that is his, Right? When you actually go through this, um, one of the words I thought that was really beautiful um, was for the word healing. Um, it talks about the leaves are actually healing in this whole passage. And when you actually look at that root word for healing, it's actually Greek and it's therapian, um, which is where we get our English word for therapy or therapeutic. And so this tree is going to bring a healing, a restoration um, to all the nations because sin has entered the world. Jesus paid for that. And once we're in heaven, there will be no more death. There will be no more pain. There will be no more curses. Okay. So as we're going through scripture and we're seeing this beautiful tree, um, it's a reminder. It's a symbol in heaven that um, God is in control. He's been in control since the beginning. He will be in control and he will reign later on as well. And we actually get to be part of that. We were part of it in the beginning and we're going to get to be part of it as we go into the end. When the tree of life was the downfall of man in the Garden of Eden, the tree of life we read about in heaven will be the restoring one. And that's the one that we want to focus on. And we want to keep our eyes there. We will actually get to be with God again. Right now, like he's with us, and we've been given the gift of Holy Spirit, but he's not with us with us right now. We'll physically get to see God's face someday. We're going to actually get to be with our other clouds of witnesses. We're actually going to get to be together as a church, one tongue, every nation, every knee is going to bow. And we'll be in his presence, and we'll get to see his face. And it's going to be so beautiful, and it's so bright that we actually won't need any lights 
Like, that's going to be crazy to me. That's something, as, even as a kid, as I would read this, you mean we won't have night anymore? Like, it's going to be so bright and beautiful that because God is just there, his presence is going to be that amazing that it's actually going to create life. And then we also get to reign with him. Um, this is something that Brad was kind of talking about. Originally, um, Adam got to name the animals. We were doing life with God. He wanted to work alongside us. He created us to do life with him. And so when the fall took place and it separated us from God, that broke something that God wanted for you and, and for me as we live between the trees. When we get to heaven someday and we actually get to see his face and be in his presence again, we get to actually work with him once again. We will get to reign with him forever. Um, seeing the tree of life actually represents all of those beautiful things. And so sometimes, I know when I was a kid, um, when I would hear about heaven and how we were gonna sit and just sing songs all day long, which I love singing, but singing songs all day long, playing my harp, sitting on a cloud, I was like, man, that doesn't sound like fun at all. That sounds boring to me. And I used to be told, like, no, you're going to want to do that. But there's actually a bigger plan and a bigger picture for heaven than that. Um, yes, we're going to want to worship God the whole time because we're actually going to be in his presence. And it's going to be beautiful. But he's also wanting us to partner alongside him again. We will get to work again, but it'll be working in a whole different way than the way we understand it here today. It's not going to be with toil. It's not going to be with frustration. It's not going to be with hurt and burdens to bear it's going to be fruitful and it's going to be lovely and it's going to be life-giving because we're getting to do it with God okay so it's not going to look like um, the pictures sometimes that we see it's actually going to be way more beautiful way more fun um, and way more amazing than anything that we could possibly imagine and so we are actually going to get to partner with him and we're going to be working originally the way that we were supposed to be working with God so as we live between the trees, convinced of God's love for us and not the concerns of the world, how do we actually sit like in this space, this space in between the two trees, okay? Because when we get to heaven, we're actually going to get to live as a healed people. And we can look at that and go, when do we get there? The cool part is because of what Jesus did for us already, Jesus died on the cross on a different tree. Um, Brad referenced that at our Christmas Eve services. There's a, there's a third tree in this mix where Jesus actually died on the cross for you and I so that we can have that restoration now, um, that we can actually have that grace and that peace and that healing and the protection here and now while we're living here between the trees until that day we actually get to be in his presence. And so on that tree, Jesus died for us so that we could have hope and that we could have joy and ultimate healing while we're here. You see, God actually looks forward to Revelation 21, verse 4. Um, when you look at, uh, at that verse there, it talks about how there's not going to be any more mourning. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more death. There's not going to be any more suffering. And we're seeing a lot of that right now. There's some of you that are here today, and you are weary, and you are tired, and you are grieving. And we just want you to know that we see you, we hear you, and we are here as a church to pray alongside you in that, and that you are not doing this alone at all. You're not alone. And that there's a lot of people that are struggling right now, but there's going to be a day where we don't have to worry about any of those kinds of things anymore. And so as we go through this time, recognizing that things are only temporary, 
I get that it's hard to live in between the trees. It's hard to live between the broken and the fallen and wanting to get to heaven some days because our bodies are giving out. We have to work hard. We have to endure hardship. Um, and it's important to have a good perspective, though, on what it is we're looking towards. I know I can personally get stuck um, looking at my circumstances right now through a certain lens of just, it's hopeless, it's hard, I don't want to do this. Um, all of us get in that spot. Even as pastors, we get in that spot where it's just hard. And hard, life is, is, you're grieving and you have to suffer and there's illness and there's cancer and there's all of those things, right? But if we can keep our eyes focused on heaven bound and where our citizenship actually lies and the hope and healing that's to come, we can actually live out that hope and that joy and that peace now here in this world. Because once again, um, life is going to function a whole different way. And it, he wants that for us now between the trees. So one thing I'd like for you guys to do, um, and tech team, don't worry about this because this is kind of added in. Um, if you have your Bibles, I really want you to open up to James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. If you are online, make sure you Google it, um, or if you've got your Bibles, make sure you grab it. This is a verse that I think that everybody should memorize and everybody should just have marked, because when you're struggling, I normally go here or I go to Psalm 91. Those are my two places that I normally run to when I just need that pick-me-up from God's Word, because that's what it is. Even God's Word is healing, and when we open it, we can experience that healing. So James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The trials that we are going through today, we are not going through alone, and we don't have to endure it alone at all. And it's going to produce a steadfastness that we can't produce on our own. We can't do that by ourselves. But it's because we're going through these things, he's going along with us. We are lacking nothing. That's the part I highlight in my Bible. We lack nothing in this time. It might feel that way, but because we have God, kind of like in the beginning, Adam and Eve, they had everything. They had God. They had his presence. Okay, we have Jesus and the fact that Jesus died on the cross for you and I. We lack nothing in this world today. So if we can keep our eyes focused on that, if we allow God to actually redeem our trials and testing and endure in this life, we'll actually begin to bear fruit. You'll actually see love and joy and peace out of living and abiding out of that Holy Spirit. And so how are we to live this life between the trees? We've asked that a couple of times now. Definitely it's not alone. We see that all through scripture. It wasn't good for Adam to be alone, right? God created Adam. We're not supposed to do this without Jesus. We're not supposed to do this without God. And we are meant to live between the trees among other people. And we need to remember Emmanuel, God is with us. And we get to experience a little bit of heaven now. Um, it's kind of a shadow at this point because we're not actually there yet, but we are not walking this alone. And so what we're going to do as we're um, wrapping things up is talk about what does this actually look like um, to abide in Jesus? And what does it actually look like to abide in your heavenly father? Because um, a lot of times we've heard this word, but we don't really know what it looks like. Um, it doesn't have to look like you've got like a candle on your table. You might do this for your your quiet time. So this is not me judging you. Just that most people, um, I know I've got three youngins at home and sitting with a candle and some markers and my Bible and my journal. Um, sometimes that doesn't work when they're awake. <laughs> 
Um, it's hard to do. It's hard to find that time. Um, and so you actually have to look at how can I make sure that I'm making time to spend time with Jesus because we need to abide in him. Um, Matthew 25, 23 says this. It says, as we abide in Jesus, we partner with him to bring heaven to earth. And that's something Brad's going to be talking about here in a, in a minute. What we need to do is you need to admit your need of him. That is where Adam and Eve, they were trying to take control of themselves. We need to admit that we need him, that we need his presence, that we need him in control of our lives. When we try to do it all by ourselves, um, it never works out. It will not work out for you. And it might work out for a time, but there's going to come a point where you realize you need God. Okay? So we have to actually admit that we need him. And we can do that through prayer. Um, if you're not used to praying, um, find, go through Psalms and just start reading through Psalms and write out your thoughts of the prayers that you're reading through there. That's an easy way to start. So like if you're even in middle school, you guys can do this. So you middle school students, go start reading through Psalms and just journal some of the thoughts that you have as you guys are going. Um, reading scripture, start in the book of John. If you don't know where to start, please don't start in Leviticus. Amen. Don't start in Numbers, right? Um, Genesis, I think, is a beautiful place to start because you can see a beautiful picture, um, especially if you do go from Genesis to Revelation and you look at those. You can start at Revelation if you want to. I mean, if you're pretty ambitious, like, go for it. Uh, but <laughs> he's saying no. Um, but I would say start in the book of John because it's a beautiful picture of God's story and the importance of God's word and his love for you and I. It, I mean, that is the book about love and how much God loves you and how much Jesus um, loves you. But the fact that he actually chose to come here as a baby and live and grow and die. Um, he loves you so much. And so if you read through the book of John, you're going to actually be able to see a big chunk of that. And then also just following him daily. Um, this is not a one and done thing. You don't just choose to follow Jesus today and then everything's going to be smooth sailing from there. Um, if you talk to anybody that's been walking with Jesus for a long time, they're going to tell you it's there's trials that come up um, and that there's waves and there's chaos and there's, there's that stuff. God does not promise you a life without trouble. What he does promise you, though, is that he's going to walk with you in it and through it. And when you do experience that, there is, when you get to the other side of that, you, you can't explain to people in words um, how amazing it is when God walks you with you through a really hard trial. Um, if you start talking to your brothers and sisters in here, the people that um, have followed Jesus, ask them for their testimonies and, and they'll share with you how God has met them in dark places. And so we get an opportunity to abide in Jesus by spending time with him. That's the only way you're going to get to know him better is by spending time with him. And so do that through prayer. Do that through scripture. Um, one small thing you can do, um, and then um, Brad's actually going to go ahead and start landing the plane, is uh, there is an app. It's called Dwell. Um, it's D-W-E-L-L. -L, and this is even great for you middle schooler and high schoolers, even like fourth and fifth graders. Um, it actually will walk you through how to memorize scripture by using the first letter of every single word in the verse, and it will attach an image to it. Um, and it's beautiful, and it's super easy, and it's something I'm personally going to be doing um, for 2022 just so I can hide God's word in my heart better. That's something I want to do, and I want to grow in this next year. And so that's an opportunity for you. If you're looking for something tangible, get a journal, grab a Bible, and you can grab some of these other tools as well. Yeah, so, you know, one of the reasons I think it's so important between the trees to abide in Jesus is because, as Jess has said, life between the trees is just hard. It's just hard. And Jesus predicted 
that it would be hard. He said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. So it's so vital. The reason it's so important that we be abiding in Jesus is because we're going to need his resource. We're going to need to live out of his resources in this lifetime. And anybody who's ever said something like, man, I'm at the end of my rope. I just can't do this anymore. I can't get through this. All you're doing is making the case for abiding. Because of course you can't, of course I can't, but you can do it through his strength, you can do it in his care, you can do it through his provision. So this abiding idea between the trees is so vital. And then as we abide, here's the beautiful thing, here's the only thing that's, uh, that's a, a consistent line from uh, one tree to the other is this, as we abide in Jesus, we still get to partner with him to bring heaven to earth, to make this world a better place to be. So in Matthew 25, 23, uh, we're told this, Jesus is telling a parable and here's what he says, and this is so important. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, what does it mean to be faithful with a few things, faithful with just a little? Friends, a little is what you and I have been given in this life. And no matter how much you may think you have in this life, in comparison to eternity, it's just a little. And being faithful with that little, in some sense, determines the scale and the scope of the job, the work, the partnership, the, the reigning that you're going to do with God in heaven. And so when we're faithful with the few things that, that God has given us in this life, then we can be trusted with more in the next life. And so think about this. In the garden, right, a man partnered with God in the stewarding of creation. And in Revelation 22, we see man reigning with him forever and ever. And reigning in this case is responsibility. It's partnership. It's meaningful labor. So the one constant to life between the trees is that we still get to enter into the to our master's happiness between the trees we still get to partner with God we still get to uh to serve him directly you know in this life meaningful labor friends it's what rescues us from the mundane is uh partnering with the king of kings and lord of lords to make a difference uh, to bring value, we've said this over and over in, the, in recent weeks, to other people. And any day that you get to add value to another human being in Jesus' name, you are fulfilling the mandate that you have been given by Christ Jesus. So listen, make no mistake, as followers of Jesus, we're not just sitting around waiting for Jesus to come back and take us to heaven. We got work to do. We got work to do. And that work begins with abiding. Because if you try to do that work on your own, out of your own resources, Jesus said it, right? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And friends, you don't want to experience that personally. You don't. And abiding makes sure that you don't uh, experience that personally. So here's my question for you. 
and then we're done. Will you make 2022 the year you got serious about abiding in Jesus and serving him? Listen, we're going to have more opportunities for you to serve in 2022 than we've ever had before. We're going to have opportunities in children's ministries, in student ministries. We're going to have opportunities out in our community. So we're going to give you uh, just an abundance of opportunities to faithfully serve in 2022. And we're going to ask you to do it because it's the one constant to life between the trees. So let me pray for you, and we're going to respond with a wonderful song. It's called The Simple Gospel. Um, And so let me pray for you and I as we just respond to that invitation uh, from from our Heavenly Father today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the privilege of entering into your happiness, the joy of being used by you, And so, God, I just ask that you would give us each servant's hearts today and that as we make it a priority to abide in you, that out of that abiding, there'd be energy left over for serving. Lord Jesus, even your son said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So, Lord Jesus, help us be like you. Help us rejoice this morning in that gospel, the gospel of partnership, the gospel of redemption. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.